This podcast was recorded in a Zoom meeting with the Hartford Street Zen Center Sangha. Please visit hszc.org for information about how to join our online programs or to make a contribution. We depend on the generosity of our members and supporters, especially during this challenging time. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. And um, <clears throat> just wanted to talk today a little bit about my own journey and, and uh, uh, particularly uh, my, my embrace of some of the sutras. So when I first came to practice, um, I just wanted to sit. My life was um, fairly chaotic at that point. And, um, uh, you know, <clears throat> it wasn't really important to me about um, learning a lot of new things um, and important teachers and, and that sort of thing. Um, what I really was interested in um, was uh, just the sitting practice itself. Um, I had been introduced to it by a friend and the idea um, that this philosophy or spiritual practice or life um, that I might be interested in um, was, was open to me without that. Um, the fact is I'd been a graduate student for years and years and years um, um, through multiple degrees and, and lots of years. So I had read and analyzed and researched and interpreted mountains of, of, of clinical work and um, created uh, somewhat of a pile of it myself. And so <clears throat> I wasn't interested um, in taking on um, anything that, uh, that would lead me down another one of those paths. So as a graduate student, <clears throat> once I finished and got my degrees and license, um, I was able to go out and actually do the practice. Um, and take what I had learned in all of those books and journals and lectures and use it, uh, moving from my head to my heart. So um, the good news is that to my knowledge, um, nobody, no, no, no new clients were injured um, in those early days, um, mostly due to careful supervision and mentoring, um, which would be important um, later for me. Um, so when I stumbled accidentally to the door of a zendo, uh, I wasn't wanting to take on another research project or to become a Buddhist scholar or to understand um, uh, all of the texts and sutras. Uh, I was introduced at, a, at uh, my first place was a retreat where there was a huge library filled with books that um, one of the teachers of the retreat said, you are welcome to study all of these. Um, and that was the only time I went in that room for the four days I was there. Um, but what I found when I got to the Zendo was the silence. Um, you know, concentration and insight, um, very important to me. Um, and so I learned at that first retreat that, that the uh, practice um, that I was uh, being introduced to um, was about letting go of my judgmental mind, letting go of the need um, to set really specific and obtainable goals, um, that as a practitioner, I could be aware of the sensations and thoughts that arise um, and know that they will all pass by. Um, I could learn to see things as they really are, um, minus my judgments and my analysis and my research. Um, and, and so it was just this really op opportunity to think, wow, I could live with something that I would learn later <clears throat> to know as equanimity. Um, and that there was a chance that I could lead a life that had um, a basis in peace and ease. And so those things appealed to me. And so as I got to know the practice by doing it uh, more and more, I came to understand that <clears throat> there were two um, components um, of practice. I started out at a Renzai temple, so um, very much uh, the focus of the teaching there was that there are two things, um, concentration and insight. Uh, and so the concentration being serenity and calm abiding, which is exactly what I was after, and the insight 
um, I thought um, in my early days um, had something to do with what I would be learning and, and, and you know, studying and that I would come to know things. Um, so I was delighted um, when I found that in my way to Soto Zen and Shikantanza, which is just sitting, um, and that, that it was simply meditation uh, and that um, it was concentration basically. Um, and that there wasn't a special focus on my learning how to do insight, um, but that insight would come um, after concentration um, was in place and was a practice. Um, and so I wasn't trying to foster these two things. I didn't need to learn about these two things. Um, I simply needed um, to listen to those who came before me, particularly wise teachers, um, and, and to not be so concerned about being the best Buddhist graduate student ever, or, or uh, et cetera. So, in Shikantanza, I got to suspend this natural instinct of mine to evaluate, interpret, judge, argue, defend. Um, and I learned about mindful awareness, um, really to see things as they are, um, to observe things as they are, and to let everything go as it goes. And those are the words of, of Suzuki Roshi. Um, I was reminded and inspired last week <clears throat> when Mio mentioned every day a good day. Um, that's really what I was looking for. I was looking for a way out of um, this I came to practice 28 years ago, so there was a lot of stuff going on for me and in our world, um, <clears throat> not compared to today, but, but you know, equally complex. Um, and I'm not going to dwell on that because Mio said that in a future talk, he's going to talk more about that. Um, but, um, but I really um, was impressed and, and it touched and reminded when Mio said that um, the day itself is never good or bad. That's our judgment. Um, that's our perspective. Um, and we get to understand that every day is a day. And, you know, that was, that was the peace and ease that I was looking for. So um, in finding my way to the Buddhist path, um, I got this opportunity to think about living authentically um, and um, having hours, days, and eventually seasons, and, you know, maybe a year or two in the last 28 years um, that I actually was um, living peacefully. And the way that that happened was that as I suspended all those judgments and, and so forth, um, I got to live um, with compassion and wisdom, um, or as I frame it, um, with community-based Zen and kindness. Those are, those are the practices that, that I'm committed to. Um, and I really um, got to get rid of, um, I got to think of uh, this practice as the reverse, because what happened was that once I began to practice in a way that, that um, that did in fact nest me in peace and tranquility, uh, peace and ease, um, uh, and mindful awareness, I had this opportunity to say, wow, you know, this is working and it's clearly somebody thought about this. And so maybe I should um, do a little study and not just be a tourist Buddhist, um, but really concentrate. Um, so <clears throat> I went to San Francisco Zen Center because it was near my house by that point. I had moved to California um, and I found um, as my first teacher there, the Dean of Buddhist Studies is what he was called. Um, and he wanted to just talk. He, when we began working together, he wanted to talk about my practice, what I was doing in practice. And, um, and I wanted to you know, chatter. He was the Dean. So my graduate brain kicked in and I would come each week with a carefully prepared question to show him that I had been studying and reading. Uh, and he, he said, just practice. You don't need to do that. Um, and so he, uh, Michael, who was the teacher, um, came to a point where each week we would have a ritual, which we would sit together for a bit. And then I would ask my lofty question and he would say, what difference does that make? Or who cares? Um, and so 
I learned a little bit about being right-sized. But I continued to, um, to sort of pressure him, and he gave me a list. And he said, okay, here, read these, um, and then we can talk. And I won't read the whole list, but it included the Heart Sutra, the Lotus Sutra, the Diamond Sutra, the Meta Sutra, Vimalakirti, the Platform Sutra, um, and the Lankavatara Sutra, and the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. He said, have a good time, read all those, and I'm sure that we'll have plenty to talk about. Um, so a normal human being would have been daunted and understood that that, that was a teaching moment. Um, but as a lifelong graduate student, I thought, great, now I have an assignment. Um, and so I went and, um, and dove in, and, uh, and the, res the result of that was, of course, frustration and confusion and a lack of understanding. Um, and moments <clears throat> in my practice where <clears throat> it struck me that um, all of these 2,500 years of teachings um, really could mess up the practice that I was trying to develop, um, warm hand to warm hand, what I was learning from Michael and, um, and other folks. And so <clears throat> Michael said, well, why don't you just take a class in a sutra and focus in on one? Um, and the next class that was offered at the San Francisco Zen Center was on the Lotus Sutra. Uh, and so I dutifully signed up. And in the first few weeks, we, we took the class the way many classes are offered, which was we began to read the Lotus Sutra line by line. Um, and a group of about 20 of us um, would then um, uh, analyze each line and look at each word and what did the word order mean. Um, and so I, I was um, frustrated, uh, to say the least, and I didn't really get it. And I thought, perhaps I should quit the class um, and um, return to the Church of Rome or something where where I would be less confused. Um, but the good news for me is that because I had uh, such a good teacher, um, I was able to um, be introduced to the Lotus Sutra in a way that opened up the door to other sutras for me. So with a few minutes today, I just want to talk a little bit about my experience with the Lotus Sutra, and, and then if we have any time, um, hear about your experience with this sutra or other ones. But in Thich Nhat Hanh's book called Opening the Heart of, of uh, the Cosmos, which is Insights on the Lotus Sutra, he starts out with this, <clears throat> with this verse, which I'll share with you. <clears throat> At night, as I recite the Lotus Sutra, the sound moves the galaxies. The earth below wakes up. In her lap, suddenly flowers appear. A jeweled stupa appears resplendent all over the sky. Bodhisattvas are seen, and the Buddha's hand is in mine. And so that... Um, verse really sort of um, parallels the experience I had. It's like, this is this beautiful, um, there's this beautiful language in this sutra, um, and you get a chance to really appreciate the beautiful language because part of the style of the sutra is that it's given to you in verse, and then in poetry, and then in metaphors, and then in parables, and then um, uh, etc. So, so you have this opportunity to really get to know these things. Um, and so, as I, as I began to uh, seriously um, uh, allow the Lotus Sutra to wash over me, what I found was um, that, that it, I felt in the beginning that it was just like really repetitive and why do they keep saying the same thing over and over again? How is it that people and lineages spend their entire lives um, studying this one sutra? Um, and, and so I started doing, reading a few commentaries and talking to Michael and other teachers about it. Um, and, you know, I read, as, as I've come to find out 28 years later, that this sutra, like many sutras in the commentaries, whoever writes the commentaries uses lines like, arguably the most famous of all Buddhist texts. <laughs> so, so each sutra that you study, someone will tell you that it is the most important sutra. 
Um, and, and so that's, that's interesting, of course. Um, but I think for me as a student, and, and in 2020 particularly, this suture is helpful because for me, it teaches us to encourage, it, uh, encourages active engagement um, with the mundane, the day-to-day -day life, um, and that Buddhahood is not an escape from the challenges of day-to-day -day life, um, but it actually um, allows us as practitioners to transform suffering and contradictions um, and to create happiness. And so in my experience with this sutra, um, as I say, I found it um, both long and repetitive, but also beautiful. And there are some stories in there, those of you who have had the pleasure of reading it, that are just, um, you might almost call them mysticism, um, but just beautiful stories of 10,000 Buddhas coming up from the earth um, to recognize the stupa that had been created for our Buddha to sit with the historic Buddha. Um, and that, that stupa itself, also gold, was miles high and miles wide. Um, and everybody who was gathered there, um, you know, was under an umbrella that became, you know, just beautiful, beautiful stuff that's in there. Um, and so I, I started reading it um, just for the words, reading it as poetry and reading it as a way of relaxing into the sutra. And so now I thought I was onto something. Um, um, there's uh, one description. Uh, reading Thich Nhat Hanh's verse that he gave us, all over the sky, the bodhisattva appear. Um, and so what I, what I thought was, wow, that's just beautiful. Um, and then I thought about it, what could that possibly mean? And, and what it could mean is that we're all in this together. We're all bodhisattvas. Um, and later in that verse where, where it says the Buddha's hand is in mine, um, what that meant for me as a new practitioner and somebody coming to Buddhism from a place of a chaotic life and, and wanting to relax um, was that I'm safe um, and that I can thrive here because the Buddha's hand is in fact in mine. So that might have been simplistic on my part to interpret it that way. Um, there are 28 verses um, in most translations. Um, and, and so I was maybe going for something a little too simple, but you know, it felt like I could, I could use um, my study of this sutra as a way of understanding um, the Buddhist path and the Buddhist teachings. Um, and then I read commentaries um, that said, basically, um, the sutra is divided into these chapters, um, but um, we're not sure who wrote them, like with many of the sutras and teachings, um, how much of it were actual teachings of the Buddhas, how much came from a disciple, how much came um, in one of the councils later, and a lot of commentary and analysis about, you know, who really wrote it and what do we know. And, and what came to me as I was reading some of those commentaries was I don't care about that. Um, I liked the language. I found it helpful to me in deepening my practice. I found it um, beautiful. Um, and so for me, I wanted to know, you know, a little bit about the history of Buddhism. I wanted to know some meaning of Buddhism. And most importantly, I wanted to know what the impact of this sutra and other sutras was on my life. So um, I thought, um, that, you know, maybe it was too complex and maybe I'd never be able to understand it and certainly never be able to share it with anybody else. And um, on the list of things that I might talk about, sutras um, would not be key among them. Um, and so as I, as I continued to just appreciate the words and the beauty and the fact that the repetitiveness actually was done for a reason, um, uh, I, I just sort of became a little satisfied with myself. Now I was a good Buddhist student as well. I had this, I had this, I had a path and a plan. Um, and then when I first saw uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's book, he said, um, if we're caught up in the words, we will only see the descriptions of miraculous events and supernatural powers. 
and we will not receive the true meaning of the sutra. So, so there I was, um, right back where I started from. Um, and I thought, wow, I was just, I, I was using this as a way to get to the sutra to appreciate all of that. Um, and so um, Thich Nhat Hanh encourages us not to miss the true meaning of the sutra. So there I was back at square one um, with this huge volume and several translations and interpretations. And I thought, you know, maybe I should just go back to um, reading Pema Chodron and Thich Nhat Hanh because, you know, I can get my hands around and my brain into that. Um, but wise teachers and, and uh, uh, folks along the path, um, which by that time included Mio, um, would say, would, would share with us in Sangha and, and with me personally, um, the importance of um, really knowing um, these and, and allowing myself to live in the sutras and the sutras to live in me. So I thought, okay, let me, let me spend a little more time with the Lotus Sutra. Um, and, it, and it was wonderful because I discovered that in the midst of all of the beauty and the, and the uh, uh, wonderful language that's in there, that there were a few themes um, that most people agreed were the important themes. And one of those is that all vehicles are one vehicle, um, that prior to this sutra, there was a sense that there were three vehicles um, that, that, you know, that were a way to get to enlightenment or awakening. One was hearing directly the teachings of the Buddha, um, one was the uh, bodhisattva path, and I just blanked on the third one, but we'll figure that out before the talk is done, or Mio can remind us. Um, um, so that was one, and that in this sutra, it's that there are all, uh, all vehicles are just one vehicle. And the Buddha says that I taught three vehicles so that each person um, could hear what he or she or they needed to hear um, in order to um, hear the teaching. And so that was really powerful for me that this was an example uh, an early teaching from the Buddha um, that that there was a, all of us have access to full enlightenment and awakening. So that was really powerful. And in fact, that's the second teaching that all beings um, may become Buddhas, um, that we all have what we need. And, and if we do um, this, uh, if we practice, um, we can in fact recognize our Buddha nature, our Buddhahood. And that's the third teaching is the importance of faith and devotion. Um, that this is not something that just comes to us. We have to practice, we have to study, um, we have to work with teachers, um, and the importance of doing the work. Um, and, and so as I was reading these, um, I became willing to say, oh, there's three important teachings, and, and you know, that's a sutra that I, can, I can, um, that I can use in my daily life and, and that I can talk to myself and other people about. And then I was reading a little bit later um, in Dogen, who refers a lot to the sutra, um, and there was a beautiful line in, in one of his um, works that I read that said, um, the single cause for Buddha's appearing in the world is to bring suffering beings um, onto the path of awakening. Um, and that only a Buddha and a Buddha together can fully understand. So for me, um, that was um, just this taking those three teachings and, and really bringing it um, into um, the focus that we have in Soto Zen on Bodhisattva that the reason we study sutras and the reason um, we look to um, the ancestors and to the, all of the Buddhas um, who gave us the teaching is because it gives us the opportunity um, to help other people to come to the path and to ease the suffering of all sentient beings. Um, and so that, that um, became really important, I think, for me. Um, and so the, the three vehicles that I mentioned before, here they are just so I don't confuse anybody, um, directly hearing the Buddha's sermons was one. People who realized enlightenment for themselves through their own efforts was two. 
and the path of the Bodhisattva was three um, with a focus on that, on that path. So for me, this became this wonderful gift um, that we have this wisdom passed down from not just the Buddha that we think of, Shakyamuni, but from the Buddhas before him um, and beautifully told and retold and retold. Um, and so we have this wonderful gift. Um, and so in communities like the one we're living in right now, where we're experiencing some deep pain, um, where we might be feeling isolated or othered um, or oppressed. Um, and, you know, we have this opportunity that we're all working together. And if we concentrate on the importance of faith and devotion, that, that this sutra and our practice um, can really inform us. I think that was, that's a, a really powerful reason um, to study and live this sutra and let it live in me. Um, and so then the other main teaching that I find in the Lotus Sutra that's really important um, is this, a lot of talk about skillful means. Um, and I had a lot of things that I thought skillful means were. I thought that um, if I made the right um, contribution and Donna at the temple, that that was skillful means. If I spoke to other people kindly, that was skillful means and all that. Um, and so in this sutra, I, what I learned was that um, I was simplifying, perhaps, and that's a big perhaps. Um, but what skillful means really was, was the Buddha saying that he used skillful means, um, such as the, the three vehicles as a way to tell everyone that they had a chance to reach enlightenment, um, that he used the parables, such as the parable that further uh, demonstrates that, which is the house on fire and the father's three children are in the house. Um, and he calls out to the children and says, um, there are three carts out here, each pulled by a different animal and filled with things that you will um, want. And so the children who had been um, not listening to his calls to come out of the burning house suddenly come out of the burning house. Um, and when they get there, there's not three vehicles, there's one vehicle pulled by a large, wonderful animal. Um, and so the question is, is, was that the right thing to do to tell a story um, that got, um, that reached those young people in a way that was um, enabled them, that enabled them to be at their capacity to come out of the fire um, and into peace and ease. And so skillful means is how we share what we know, you know, and, and we hear over and over again that this is um, a practice being handed to us, warm, warm hand to warm hand. So we learn to meditate and improve our, and our, our capacity to meditate by listening to our teachers and, and to the abbot and, and to, um, to the readings, to, the, to, these, um, to these long held uh, documents. And so I think um, that, that this um, is really important um, for, for me. Um, and that, um, and, you know, that, that what I came to was a sense that I didn't have to do one or the other. I didn't have to be a graduate student and really deeply understand every word. Um, and that um, when I take a class with a, with a teacher who has committed himself or herself or themselves to one of the sutras or one of the teachings, um, that that can be deeply powerful. Um, and if I just go along with um, the learning opportunity, um, we may do it by going sentence by sentence over a sutra or another teaching and that might be okay. We might do it by everybody reading the, the, the book and coming together and talking about it, whatever it is, that there are all these opportunities. And that if I trust the skillful means <clears throat> of the teacher, um, then there's the possibility that I may learn something and improve my practice uh, in a way um, that's deeply transformative for me 
and and if we believe the teachings therefore for all of the rest of the people in that class or in our sangha or in the community um, so i think finally for for a practitioner such as myself and i know for many of you that are that are here today another important message that i found in studying this sutra over <coughs> over and over again <coughs> excuse me um, is that um, this is really a sutra um, that has a message of equality and justice. And, and in my practice as a community uh, of communities in, um, that's really important for me. Um, and so um, uh, Jean, Re Jean Reeves, who has written one of the English translations <clears throat> in his introduction says that um, uh, there is a powerful countering to the prevailing Indian ideas of rank and status and the importance of certain people over other people. In this sutra, what he finds is that Buddha nature can be found in all people, um, that anyone um, can be a teacher of the Dharma, um, not just those who have risen to a certain um, a level and been recognized, but everybody, by virtue of living the Dharma, um, can teach the Dharma um, to other friends along the path. Um, this is a sutra where um, there's not a lot of inclusion given the times and the history, but there are women included as, as practitioners and teachers in the sutra. So we begin to see um, some equality and justice there. Um, that all beings in the sutra are equally children of the Buddha with full capacity for awakening. Um, and <clears throat> a strong reference to the Bodhisattva path, um, the path um, that in this sutra is not even limited to those who call themselves Bodhisattvas. Um, but that in this sutra, um, we get the possibility of relieving suffering. That, that's, that that is, um, as I mentioned, Dogen um, said, that the reason for a Buddha to appear in the world or a Buddha to appear today um, is to help these relieve suffering and to encourage and invite and show others the path of the Buddha. And that's what each of us is doing by being here this morning. Um, I get to talk and then you'll have a chance to talk if you'd like, but each of us, whether we're talking or not, has this chance to share our practice um, by sitting together, um, by holding each other safe in this confusing time that we live in. Um, and so that, that what's wonderful about this is that these are positive goals and not, we're not doing this practice to, um, to get away from something bad. We're doing this practice because there is the possibility to live with peace and ease and to live a shared experience um, and to recognize that each day is in fact a day um, sometimes they go the way we want them to, and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they cause us pain, and sometimes they don't. Um, but that each day we have that capacity, um, and, I, and I know and hope that Mio will take that up in um, one of his future talks. Um, um, but we get to get rid of our attachments to what we think is right. I got to get up, give up being a certain kind of graduate student who was studying Buddhism the way I studied psychology. Um, um, we get to be free of our faults. You know, I didn't have to be a bad student or a good student. I didn't have to um, think up a, ideal questions or, or, such ever, or such as that. Um, I just got to show up willing to be taught and willing to learn and willing to practice. Um, and we get to um, get rid of our delusions. Um, and so that becomes um, really powerful for me. So we get this um, idea of becoming a Buddha, of us, we all have capacity for awakening. Um, in this sutra, because of all the colorful stories and the beautiful flowers and the garlands and the, um, you know, the 10,000 Buddhas and, you know, at one point in the introduction to this um, uh, sutra, there's a listing of all the people that came to that first lecture of the Buddha 
on, on uh, Vulture Peak. Um, and if you count them all up, which tells you I'm still a little bit of a graduate student, there are 154,000 people showed up, um, people, beings, and entities showed up to hear the talk. Um, so there's some joy in this. There's this you can read this. Um, you don't want to get stuck just in the words and the beauty and the colors and the mysticism, um, but you can read it with a lot of joy and delight in just reading the beauty. Um, and so I encourage everybody, if you haven't read it or read it recently, to go back and pick it up and read some of it because you really will find joy there. And then finally for me um, is the idea of peace. Um, that for me, um, that, that living the life of the Buddha, being awakened, um, really allows us, um, allows me and allows us to live in peace. Um, and, and that it gives us this joy and happiness that we can share with each other. It gives us this opportunity not to be in competition with each other. And it really tells us over and over again in this sutra, the way I interpret it, um, that it's not simply the absence of conflict, but it's genuinely um, walking the Buddhist path. It's genuinely showing up um, wholeheartedly. Um, and then we work together um, to transform our own lives. Um, and by doing that, um, we really have the opportunity to transform the Sangha um, and, and together to transform the world. So I did come to be a student who now appreciates the sutras. I have not read all the sutras um, in depth um, that were on that list that I was given 20 some years ago. Um, but when I have the opportunity to study a sutra or other teachings by historical or contemporary teachers, um, I now do so um, with a much more open heart um, that, that if I'm fully present, I will always learn something. Um, and as I conclude um, these thoughts and, uh, and we open the, for any questions anyone might have, um, I know that I and you will all learn something in the next few minutes by the nature of the questions and comments that the rest of you make. Um, so thanks for um, allowing me to take you on that journey. I hope something in there was useful for you. Thanks. And we now have a little bit of time if anybody has a question or a comment or can correct or clarify something that I said, that would all be welcome. Looks like we're gonna be a quiet crowd today, huh? Um, Neo. Hi. Stephen, I just wondered if um, seems unlikely, but uh, if um, uh, you you were able to bring some of your your fellow recovery community folks uh, into the um, the uh, congregation of the Lotus Sutra with you. Um, <clears throat> I, I I do occasionally talk about it in. Uh, for those that don't know, I, I participate in and help facilitate a group called Meditation and Recovery. Um, we have uh, meetings on uh, Monday night and Friday nights um, in, when we're not in, um, in uh, the Zoomiverse. The, one of those meetings, the Friday night meeting, has for the last nine years, um, uh, uh, thanks to the generosity of the Hartford Street Zen Center, been at Hartford Street. Um, and so um, we have, and, and at the San Francisco Zen Center on Monday nights, that meeting's been going on now for 20 years this year. And each week between the two meetings, about 100 people come together uh, and take a look at the principles of recovery and um, the practice of Buddhism. And so I have, and others um, have attempted um, to introduce the community to the teachings. 
Um, in fact, we go through cycles of, of what we call semesters where we do 12 weeks focused on a recovery um, literature or teaching um, from a Buddhist perspective and 12 weeks um, teaching a Buddhist teaching um, um, from a recovery perspective. And at the moment we are, um, we are in a cycle where we're looking at um, Buddhist teachings um, and the several sutras have been taught and the Lotus Sutra is, is on the list for later, later in the semester. So um, a lot of the folks that come to, uh, to the meditation and recovery meetings are pretty raw, pretty new to recovery. And so they share what I shared with you about my original um, thought was when somebody said, here's a, you know, a 600 page Lotus Sutra, this will be really helpful to you. Um, um, you know, we in recovery have lists of 12 steps and 12 traditions and 12 this and 12 that. So it's, it's recognizing that for a lot of folks, there's a slight concentration issue, particularly in the beginning. Um, but um, I think when various of the folks who speak at that group um, speak with the delight um, that I have for the Lotus Sutra and that other people have for uh, other sutras, um, I think people are encouraged to then go out and do a little studying. Uh, and I say that based on questions that we get in subsequent, subsequent weeks. So, so I, think, um, I think that's one of the things about skillful means is knowing how much we can share and um, with what level of, of uh, ease and understanding and delight uh, will encourage people to, uh, to, uh, you know, to participate. Thank you. Any other thoughts or questions? Um, Shuji. Speak now. Mm -hmm. uh, if you, so I was just thinking if someone were to reach over and pull the Lotus Sutra down from the shelf, it having sit there, sat there for years um, untouched, um, how would you suggest um, uh, approaching uh, when you just start, when you, when you open it up? Yeah, I think I would, I would suggest um, uh, really just reading it and telling whoever that person was, if it's you or, or someone else, um, uh, just, to, just to first read it for the language because it's so beautiful and there's so much in there. Um, and to notice that first there's a verse um, and then there's um, something that I consider poetry and then there are the parables and the metaphors and the parables and metaphors are the wonderful ones, like the prodigal son and, and um, you know, the physician. And, and so there are all these wonderful stories. And if you read it um, um, with just the, the, the interest and the openness to hearing the stories, and you think back to um, that when the Buddha was teaching um, this and his disciples were teaching, they were going from place to place teaching to whoever showed up. Um, and so... Um, we are included now in that by reading. Um, uh, and so we have this opportunity to, to really um, just enjoy the language. And then after you've enjoyed the language for a while, if your experiences like mine and students of mine that, that I have worked with, um, what happens is the language begins to make sense. So I had read it a number of times and worked with a number of teachers um, before I came to um, the, the understanding that I now have about the, the deep and beautiful social justice and equality focus um, that you can find in this. Um, that um, the Arhats um, at one point in the, in the story are very upset because they are supposedly the ones who are, are all knowing and don't need to learn anything else. Um, and in this teaching, the Buddha says, well, there's not three vehicles, there's one and everybody 
um, has uh, something to learn and, and um, everybody has uh, the opportunity to be awakened just, just as, as you folks. Um, and so there's you know, some conflict in there, so it's kind of exciting. Um, uh, and, and then um, there's just the equality of that, which really appealed to me that we all have that capacity. And that there are certainly different roles we play. Some people study full-time um, and teach full-time and that's, that's a beautiful thing. Um, some of us are busy engaged in the work of bodhisattvas, um, uh, being of assistance and supporting all other beings. Um, and so there are different ways to do it. Um, and that by working together, um, the scholars get to help us understand um, the head part of it. Um, and those of us who are living in the community get to remind them of the heart part of it. Um, and when we're sitting in Sangha, it's not two different things, that that's one vehicle, that we're all in that together. So I think reading it, um, just you know, flip around, you know, if it gets a little tedious, just flip around and read some of the verses, read some of the parables, because I think, I think they're very inviting. Um, and if you have a love of language, um, you know, that, that there's a lot of beautiful stuff in there that, that just is enjoyable to read. Thank you. Neil? Uh, uh, Stephen, uh, we have uh, kind of borrowed a, a, a practice from uh, Japan where uh, uh, parts of the Lotus Sutra are often chanted uh, for service. And um, in, in our collection of, of chants, we have the uh, the chapter on the miraculous power of Avalokiteshvara. And reading that's kind of a hoot. Um, and in it, uh, much, much is promised. <laughs> uh, whether uh, what's promised is delivered is kind of an interesting question. I wondered if you had a thought on that. Mm, um, I don't, actually. Um, uh, I think I, you know, I think there's a lot of places in, in this sutra and other sutras where a lot is promised. Um, and I think what I liked about, um, part of what I like about this is, is the importance that's placed on hard work and on being willing to um, show up that, that we don't um, come to believe um, as we read this sutra um, that things will be given to us or that if we sit long enough, uh, or, or read um, sutras um, long enough. Um, those are gifts. Um, and there are places in the sutra where, where it's said, if you even recite the sutra um, once, you will, you will receive a gift from it. Or if you're not able to read it, if you honor the sutra by putting a flower before it, um, that you will get benefit because you begin to say, um, this is something that could be important. Um, but what the sutra says in my way of understanding it is that um, it's, it's the importance of faith and devotion. It's the importance of really sticking with it. And so I think um, my answer to that, I'd, I'd love to hear your answer because um, you know, you've done much more studying and thinking about it than I have. Um, but for me, the answer is, you know, I, I did um, at various points in, in my uh, Buddhist practice think that if I just showed up, somehow uh, wise teachers like yourself would say things that would wash over and into me and that would be great. Um, and what I understand from this sutra is that that's an important part of what's going on. Um, but my, my willingness to really do the work of reading and understanding and practicing and um, behaving as a bodhisattva in community are all um, necessary um, for me to continue on the path. So I think it's, um, that, that would be my understanding. And, and like I said, love to hear 
um, if you have a, a thought on that that would help help all of us to think about it. Well, um, I, I just I, I wondered if um, maybe in in past centuries, uh, someone who was familiar with the Lotus Sutra and and found uh, found themselves in one of the dire circumstances that you read about in the chapter on Avalokiteshvara's power, uh, for instance, uh, facing the executioner's sword. And if you, you know, call upon the saving power of Avalokiteshvara, the sword will break into pieces. And I wonder if they were startled to discover that it <laughs> didn't actually happen in the physical world. But of course, I think the point is that the the sword does break into pieces, uh, but uh, it, that happens in you, not out there. And that the the uh, secret of all those transformations is in us. And if we expect, um, you know, uh, we're, we're being chased by uh, 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 giant scorpions with poisonous breath and so forth, if it, as in a, um, a, a blockbuster movie, uh, they simply explode and go away. Uh, that's not the kind of salvation that is being offered. And the, the kind of salvation is being offered is the transformation in us, which indeed uh, uh, not only can be, but is instantaneous. Uh, and if we get hung up on the, the Hollywood details, we may indeed be disappointed. But that's that's all I have been able to come up with so far. So. Yeah, I think I think for me that's why the the focus, the reminder throughout the sutra of, of skillful means, that stories were told um, that would help people come to the basic teaching um, through whatever their capacity was to learn. Stories like that, um, uh, you know, um, it was helpful to me thinking about that. Um, you know, the the story that I, the place that I mentioned. Um, uh, where the large stupa appears, um, comes up from out of the earth, and it's miles wide and miles high. Um, and the historic Buddha and, and our Buddha are sitting there um, together. And then, uh, you know, the, the, the people that are there say, well, they'll stick around and help do this teaching. And the Buddha, uh, the Shakyamuni Buddha says, uh, no, um, we have people in our current Sangha that will do that. We appreciate the past and the history, but we have people now. And at that moment, 10,000 golden um, bodhisattvas <laughs> come up out of the earth and so so it's like that's a beautiful vision and you can imagine that in a hollywood movie or uh, maybe um, or maybe i'm watching the wrong kind of movies but um, the idea of it is it's just like what a beautiful story um and it says that there is a long you know it's like not today's teaching it's it, teaching in context um but that that the buddha said those of us that are here now have the work to do as did those who came before us mm -hmm. that was a teaching and and so i think Things like, um, like you say, you know, uh, and we say oftentimes if we meditate and bring wholehearted awareness and we're hoping that um, things will get better, as you mentioned last week, sometimes just being alive is enough. Um, but that we all have bad days and we're challenged, you know, folks are sick with this, this virus right now and people have addictions and people have huge financial problems right now. Um, and, and on some levels, we hope that our spiritual practice allows us to um, survive and thrive even in these times. Um, and the fact is, 
is that you know that's that's not what's promised. What's promised is that is that we have the capacity to engage with whatever it is that comes up, um, and from a bodhisattva standpoint, to engage with it, to ask for help, and to provide help to others. But the teaching itself, um, uh, I think, um, I, I love the way you said that, that the, the sword will break into a thousand pieces and the practitioner realized just as his or her head was cut off that that was not meant to be, meant to be an actual fact, it was a metaphor. Um, I like uh, uh, what, um, what you uh, bring up about uh, how it is our work now uh, and, and I love how that uh, is depicted in the sutra when Buddha asks uh, to share his seat with another Buddha figure. And uh, we maintain that um, symbol, it's so powerful, you know, uh, with our Shuso practice. So when you're, if you're a Shuso or head student in, in uh, a uh, uh, semi or monastic training, uh, you will share the seat with the abbot or the lead teacher for that period, which is quite wonderful, actually. Yeah. Any other thoughts or questions? I will. Uh, I will confess, though. I I have been um, somewhat calling Avilokiteshvara <laughs> into action because I've been waking up at three o'clock in the morning and thinking about the twenty-six million people who are unemployed and the. 52,400 people who've died in this country and um, sort of rolling my head around trying to even imagine those numbers. Like I, I, I literally went and thought, well, how many people can sit at um, Oracle Ballpark? Because I've been there once or twice and it's one and a quarter times that entire um, stadium or that ballpark that um, have died. And the 26 million is too much for me to even imagine other than I remember that it's about 10 million less than, or 10, we have about 10 million more in the entire state of California who are now unemployed. So I will admit that um, at the wee hours of 3 a.m. when I'm rolling this around, sometimes I do um, sort of fall back on asking how to look as far to come in and remedy this for me. Yeah, I see. I think that's one of the beauties of these ancient teachings, and particularly this one for today, um, is that we are allowed to imagine um, the world um, when we are all together and we're all healthy and we're all um, on, uh, awakened and on the Buddhist path. Um, we're allowed to imagine that, but I think what we're encouraged to do um, is not um, spend a lot of time fretting that the world would be different than it is. You know. Um, I want things to be different than they are, as we all do. Um, but you know, lying in bed at three o'clock in the morning is like you know, um, uh, you know that it's it's troubling your mind and and keeping you from getting sleep. And your nutrition and sleep right now and and rest are really important because the stronger your immune system is, the less likely you are to get the virus or to get sick from it or to carry it to somebody else. So we have those practical things. We can imagine the beauty of a world. Um, where we are all sitting in front of a golden stupa and, and everybody's healthy and everybody has a job and everybody has enough money. Um, and, you know, there's the reality of what we're living in. And, and I think our, our, the instruction is to um, figure out how to engage in the, engage in the most pos positive way, the most useful way for yourself, your health and the health of your friends and family and Sangha. So, so I think, I think, both things are possible, that we can have the imaginings of a world where we don't have these troubles, um, and then we get to figure out how to live with the reality that at the moment we do have some troubles.
yeah, it is just that, I mean, I'm fully aware that it's not, you know, <laughs> that's not solving the problem, but it helps me a tiny bit. Um, I myself was awake at 3.20 this morning, so we were probably sharing the same thoughts. So it's uh, not that I've cornered some market on um, living in, this, in front of the stupa. 